0: I now get to invite Van and Lori up to the stage, so please welcome them. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great to see you all here today. Let's start with a declaration that we've done many times. It uh, goes like this. This is a great day. God's doing great things in, we're going to say, us and through us today. And then we'll end with, this is a day of victory and breakthrough, okay? I'll say it, and then you say it right after me, all right? So, this is a great day. This is a great day. God's doing great things in us and through us today. God's doing great things in us and through us today. This is a day of victory and breakthrough. This is a day of victory and breakthrough. Amen. All right. Well, as uh, many of you know, we, we said last week there was going to be a significant announcement we were gonna make today. And I just wanna start, stand still, okay. <laughs> Kids, you know, ADD all over the place. <laughs> uh, well, I wanna start by saying this, Lori and I founded Vineyard Northwest in 2001, meeting in our basement.
1: And a lot has changed since then. But our commitment and our core values have not. Mm -hmm. So we are supernaturally empowered. We are mercy driven and outwardly focused. And all of those values have never changed. And we really want to raise leaders in the next generation
0: uh, yeah, next generation leaders are a key thing, a key part of our hearts for many years now. And uh, as many of you know, we're both 72 years old, and uh, we've, yeah, yeah hard, hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. I married a 72-year-old woman, or I am married to one. Uh, we've been in a long-term transition here, a leadership transition for the last five years, And uh, during that time, uh, all of the preparatory steps you normally need to take in a transition of having new leadership step into the role, we've really accomplished things like uh, sharing vision, uh, decision-making ability, leadership, Bible study skills, theology, all of these things, preaching, uh, working with uh, our our, uh, pastoral advisory uh, committee Uh, Council, and working with the trustees, budget, finances, on and on it goes, hiring and overseeing staff. In the last five years, uh, we have passed these things on to next generation leaders.
1: And don't forget listening skills. Okay. (laughs) And (laughs) we honor one another, and we work as a team.
0: That's right. That's right. In case you don't know, Lori does the coach training here, which has a lot to do with listening, all right? (laughs) So So we're here today to announce uh, that we have an actual plan put into place. And uh, this plan is, uh, we're entering this official transition process that will conclude right now. Our plan is to conclude it in the fall of 2024, so it's a ways off yet. But at that time, we will hand senior leadership of the church over to Wilson, uh, Cochran, and Luke Hazelmeyer. So, Luke and Will are here. Stand up. For any Office fans, I was trying to persuade them to do a twirl, but they wouldn't go for it. Uh, The time's right for this. The time is right.
1: And we want you to know that they have highly complementary giftings. And they have the same core values. They know how to work together to make decisions. And so that makes us very confident. But I want you to remember that they are not alone in this. They have wives and families that are totally with them. And they are Jamie Hazelmeyer and Jen Cochran. And these women are godly women who stand with their husbands but are committed to their young children and their families right now. But we know that they're gifted as you've heard them both preach and so we want you to remember that they are right alongside them and called into ministry alongside their husbands.
0: Also awesome. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie is right here. Jamie, stand up. Jen is unfortunately at home with an 18-month-old who has conjunctivitis, okay? So pink eye. So we're sorry that Jen couldn't be here. But... Um, uh, you know, although Will and Luke will be the senior leaders, Jen and Jamie will undeniably play a very significant role in, in the whole thing as, as time unfolds. And so, uh, we've been moving this direction ever since Dave King was the executive pastor here. How many of you remember and miss Dave? Yeah, miss, miss that man a lot. He's with the Lord now. I said uh, the fall of twenty twenty four, but one thing I've learned, and everybody who's talked I've talked to about transitions like this say that especially in a church's life, once you set a formal transition plan in place, you can't be certain of the timing. you can You can have a by this date time, but oftentimes it it just takes on a life of its own, and it happens even sooner than that. So uh, we'll see how that all unfolds. But for right now, this is an exciting time for us as a church, and this is what we're supposed to do. And uh, I'm going to ask Lori right now, as the spiritual mother of the church, to pray blessing on these plans and these families and the church body. So please.
1: Yeah, please join me. Thank you, God, for your goodness. We love you. We trust you and we are blessed with our leaders that are rising. Luke and Wilson, we ask God that you would give them wisdom, bless their families, bless the roles that they are discerning, and how they're going to fulfill your call in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. And we introduce to you now Jordan Pelfrey. Jordan, come on up.
2: All right, hey, good morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, This wasn't in the plan, but really quick, could we just honor Van and Lori for just like the leadership and the vision and the direction over the years, just. I know that I'm one of many people in the room that would say my I would not be where I'm at right now, and my life would not be the same without you guys. So, thank you. And uh, anyway, super exciting times around here. Uh, but this week we're finishing up our rest month, our, our series through uh, for rest month. Uh, we've been going over the last three weeks through a series. Uh, created by a guy named John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, Oregon, on the Sabbath. And uh, it's been really great so far, Uh, kind of a change of pace. We've been watching videos, so uh, one of the other things that we've been doing in addition to that is every week there have been like weekly challenges or goals that you could uh, participate in to to join in, in another level of participating in rest month. And so before we start today's video, uh, we're just gonna take about a minute to kind of debrief with the people around you, just one person right next to you um, to talk about how last week's goal went. And just as a reminder, this was last week's goal. Uh, It was planned to try pleasure stacking one day this coming week. Put as many enjoyable activities in one day for you and your family as you reasonably can. Plan as few chores and tasks as possible on that day. Try to be present in the moment. Now, if you participated with that goal, uh, share that with your neighbor. If you weren't here or you just weren't able to do it, share uh, in about 30 seconds with the person next to you, what would a day full of pleasure and delight look like for you? Uh, So go ahead, turn to your neighbor and I'll tell you when you should be switching to the next person. The second person hasn't shared yet. They should probably be starting right about now. Take about 10 more seconds to conclude your conversation. All right, go ahead and finish your sentence that you're on. There's a lot of chatter. I feel like Delight Week is probably one of the easier ones to get into, like how many great things can I do in one week. For for my wife and I, Last uh, we Sabbath on Fridays. Um, for me, I was within 100 pages of finishing a book that I've been working on for a couple months. And so my pleasure stacking was just, Sit on the couch and sit outside and read as long as I can and finish the book. So it was a it was a pretty good day for me. Uh, with that being said, we are going to uh, start this last video here. As a reminder, the the three parts prior to this were stop, rest, delight, and today the message is on worship. So let's roll that video.
3: What is your Sabbath like? Here's what Sunday is like for a lot of modern Western Christians. You stay up late on Saturday night, watching a movie or TV or going to a party. You overeat, possibly overdrink. You wake up Sunday morning in a bit of a fugue and rush out the door to church in a hurry. That is, if we go to church, more and more people don't. After church, you go shopping or watch the game on TV or work around the house or in the yard. Maybe you get ahead on email and plan out your work week, or you meal prep, or you do homework, or whatever. Then you watch another movie at night and go to bed too late. To clarify, that's not a Sabbath. That's what the late Pastor Eugene Peterson called a bastard Sabbath, the unacknowledged offspring of the ancient practice from the way of Sabbath and the modern secular day off. It's what people in our church have taken to calling sabish, meaning kind of Sabbath, but not really. Because we've been teaching on and practicing Sabbath for so many years in our church, it's woven into the culture of our community. But as you can imagine, people are all different places in their practice. It's common to hear someone ask, how was your Sabbath? And then hear, oh, fine, I slept in, I read scripture for a while, it was quiet. Then I had to catch up on laundry, organize my garage, and work on my taxes. But then I had a great afternoon, I binged all of season three of whatever on the couch. It was, you know, Sabbath. How do we keep Sabbath from becoming sabbish, from becoming just another activity on the weekend? As we've said through this entire practice, there are four movements to the Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. In our final session, we come to what is arguably the most important of all four. The Sabbath is a day for worship. Now, where does this idea come from? Let's read one last time from Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Notice two things God did on the Sabbath. One, God blessed the seventh day. We covered that in the last session. The word blessed or barak in Hebrew can also be translated to make happy the Sabbath. It is a happy day. But secondly, God made it holy. I know holy is very religious sounding, but stay with me because this is fascinating. In the ancient Near East, the gods were found in the world of space, not of time, just meaning they were found on a holy mountain or in a holy temple or in a holy cave. So you would expect God to make a holy place, but instead, God makes a holy day. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel called the Sabbath architecture in time and said, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Because for this God, the one true creator God, the entire cosmos is his temple and there is nowhere he is not. So if you want to find this God, you don't need to climb a mountain or travel to a shrine. He's all around you. You just need to stop and rest and delight and come awake and alive to who he is. But what exactly does it mean to make a day holy? In Hebrew, the word holy is kadash, and it literally means unique or special or uncommon. Theological definition would be set aside for God's special purposes. We tend to think of holiness as a moral descriptor, as a way of saying something or someone is good or evil. And in a sense, it is. Contrary to our humanistic culture's view, goodness, or what the ancients called virtue, has always been a minority position in society as a whole. As Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The narrow way of Jesus is holy. It's uncommon goodness, but, Holiness isn't just a moral word. In the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there are holy pots and holy pans and holy utensils for the tabernacle. Now, a fork or knife can't be good or evil, but it can be set apart for God's special purposes. In that case, just for worship in the temple and not used for family dinner on a Tuesday night. Growing up, I remember my grandparents had a set of fine china. My grandfather used to travel to Japan for work a few times a year, and over the years, he collected a beautiful set of high-quality Japanese china. It was kept in a special piece of furniture called a hutch, with glass windows to display the plateware, and it was only brought out on special occasions, Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner or a celebration. Then they had a whole other set of plateware that was for everyday use, that was much cheaper, it was more hardy, it was easy to replace. The china was kadash, it was holy. It was set apart for my family's special purposes, not used for everyday life. What my grandparents find china was to daily plateware, the Sabbath is to the rest of the week. Holy, set apart. But the question is, for what, or better said, for who? If your Bible is still open, turn over to Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 23, Moses said to the people of Israel, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Note that phrase. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. So the people rested on the seventh day. Notice the phrase, a holy Sabbath to the Lord that can be translated set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. The Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside not just for stopping or resting or delighting but for God himself. Put another way, it is a day for worship. Now, a lot of us hear the word worship and we think of worship by singing at church and that is an example of worship. But worship is so much more. In the biblical sense, to worship at its most primal level is to orient and reorient your entire life around God, our creator and our center. It's to lay your entire life before him in love and to deepen your surrender to his love. One way to do that is through worship by singing. But there are so many more ways, giving our time, our resources, our attention, and our affection to God in prayer, yielding our will over to God in decision-making. Anything we do to center our life on God and to intentionally direct and redirect our heart in love toward His glory in the language of Scripture, just meaning His goodness and His beauty, anything we do like that is a form of worship. Yes, the Sabbath is a day to stop and rest and refill our tank. And yes, it's a day to delight and throw a party and celebrate and feast. But above all, it's to contemplate the good news that God has given his life to us in Jesus. And now it is our joy to give our life back to God in worship. It's a day to deepen our communion with the deepest reality there is. This is the final and most important movement of Sabbath worship. And in my experience, there is a progression that I observe my own soul go through on the Sabbath. First, I stop. Then I begin to rest, I fall asleep, I have some time, my energy starts to come back. Then I begin to have enough energy in my tank to delight, to really just savor goodness. But as I delight, I almost can't help but burst into spontaneous worship and gratitude and praise and wonder and awe at the goodness of God. By the end of the Sabbath, I often find myself on a quiet walk or with my family just looking up the sky and quietly saying, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Not because I'm Mr. Spiritual and certainly not because I'm a pastor, but because I made space for my soul to come back awake and alive to God's goodness. Ruth Haley Barton, in her chapter on Sabbath, in her book Sacred Rhythms, writes, I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something. Good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love, I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight, and delight turn into gratitude, and gratitude into worship. This is one of the many reasons that, for most of you, Sunday is by far the best day to Sabbath. For over a thousand years, Sabbath and Sunday worship were synonymous. Only recently were they separated, but they were intended to go together. And the tragic way the Sabbath has been co-opted by the weekend, from a day of worship to a day off, goes to the heart of the matter. The Sabbath is holy, but we have to keep it holy. In the 10 Commandments, we read, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Jews don't talk about practicing the Sabbath, but keeping the Sabbath, meaning keeping it holy, keeping it set apart for God's special purposes. They call this sanctifying the day, treating it as special and unique and not like the other six. You see, we can either sanctify the Sabbath and keep it holy or we can, in the language of scripture, profane the Sabbath, meaning we can devalue it, dishonor it, treat it just like any other day for doing as we please. What about you? Do you keep the Sabbath holy or do you profane it? What about me? Because ultimately, this isn't about a day, but about your life. Remember, all the practices of Jesus are a means to an end. The Sabbath is a day of worship by which we cultivate a spirit of worship in all the days of our lives. Is your life holy? Is your life set apart for and dedicated to God and his special purposes in the world? Is it a life of uncommon goodness? Or is your life, is mine, profane, common, following the broad path that is all around you? My aim here is not to guilt trip you into going to church more often or doing all sorts of spiritual disciplines on the Sabbath. It's just to drive home that the Sabbath is of life or death importance. Followers of Jesus, as you know, disagree about whether or not the Sabbath is still a binding command. Whoever is right, it's one of the 10 commandments. And all of the commandments of scripture, but especially the 10, are put there to guard you from death and guide you into life. As Moses said of the commandments in Deuteronomy, I set before you this day life or death, choose. Keeping the Sabbath is arguably just as important as not lying or stealing or killing. It is of life or death importance. Our culture is killing itself. Through overwork, overconsumption, overactivity, we are, as Neil Postman famously said, amusing ourselves to death. Few things are as desperately needed today as the recovery of the ancient practice of Sabbath. The Sabbath is a means by which we enter into what Jesus called the kingdom of God or the reign of God. It's a day when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Theologians point out that the Sabbath is a signpost that looks both backward and forward in history. It's an aftertaste of the Garden of Eden and a foretaste of the New Jerusalem. When we gather for the Sabbath meal around a table with the multi-ethnic family of God, not just friends, but family, kin, brothers, sisters, bound together not by blood, but by allegiance to Jesus the Lord, our host and our honored guest. We eat the bread, we drink the wine, and we give thanks and sing and laugh and dance and celebrate and revel in the sense that all is well. When we do that, that is not just a sign of salvation, that is salvation. Here's Abraham Joshua Heschel again. Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated into the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal, and the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. On the Sabbath, we are practicing eternity. And what makes the Sabbath such a joy isn't just good food around a table of family and friends and time off work to sleep and rest. It is God himself, the Trinitarian community at the center of the universe who radiates love and joy and peace. This is what we crave deep in our being, whether we put the name God to our ache or misdiagnose our desire for God as a desire for someone or something else. The danger of last session's teaching on the Sabbath as delight is, as with all ideas, the enemy is constantly at work to warp and corrupt good ideas from reality to parody. We can easily be confused in our hedonistic culture into kind of thinking that, the Sabbath, rather than a god day of joy, is a self-centered day of pleasure. But anyone who has ever tasted of true delight and the joy of God as the Creator intended for the creation, you know there is a chasm of difference between delight and pleasure, or hedonism. Delight is meant to draw your whole being to God in joy. Pleasure is just trying to make your body feel good. You don't walk away from pleasure feeling profound gratitude. You just walk away wanting more pleasure. But there is a kind of delight that is virtually indistinguishable from worship. To end, the social critic and novelist David Foster Wallace, in a famous commencement address, said this about worship. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships the only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out, and so on. The question isn't, do you worship? It's who or what do you worship? And if we become like who or what we worship, as all the great wisdom traditions have long said, then what kind of person is your worship forming you into? You will worship something. You will orient your life around something. Put your faith, hope, and love onto something. Find your identity, community, and a sense of meaning and purpose and even morality in something. You will pursue it, sacrifice for it, discipline yourself for it, love it. The question is simply, what? And no matter how good or noble a pursuit is, the moment we elevate a created thing to a place reserved for the Creator, we immediately ruin it and in doing so, ruin ourselves because nothing can bear up under the weight of our worship other than the Father and the Son and the Spirit. All week long, the false gods of the world lure us out of our circle around God in a kind of orbital decay, invisible yet pulling us down with power. They all promise us rest and a sense of joy, yet all they give is the weariness and emptiness of soul the Western world has honed to perfection. On the Sabbath, we come back to what the Quakers used to call our holy center in God. This point, deep within all of us who have been baptized, who are in Christ, where our spirit is in communion with His Spirit, where we're not even sure who's who anymore, where we draw on the life at the heart of the Trinity itself and give our life back in return. The Sabbath is a day for
2: worship. Isn't that so good? I feel like just every time I listen to John Mark talk about Sabbath, I'm just like, I want to just do this more and get better at it. Um, Some things that really just like stood out to me from that teaching. One, I think the challenge for us is how do we reframe our mind around worship and what does that look like in a day? Because I, I think like even right now, as I say the word worship, I immediately think of what we did for 30 minutes up here. And like, that's like almost my exclusive understanding of it, where that's really just a facet of what worship can be. And so that's kind of been some of the challenge uh, for me and my family as we've been practicing Sabbath is like, how do we incorporate worship and it not just be like, all right, Alexa, play Bethel worship for 20 minutes or something like that. You know what I mean? so that's really good and one of the things that i love about sabbath uh and he touched on it here is he said it's practicing eternity or i look at it as like practicing the kingdom Uh, it's like a prophetic act once a week saying like this is what it looks like to live the abundant life that god is offering us and and to participate in that so uh, i love that so much um So my family and I—we've been practicing Sabbath for a little while now, uh, almost a year probably—and I gotta say, it's totally changing our lives. But before it got to that point, I was so resistant to it. Uh, There were some friends here at the church that practiced it, Chris and Anna Walden. They were like huge John Mark Comerites before I was, and. Uh, they talked about it every week, and it kind of annoyed me, <laughs> to be honest, and uh, I was kind of at a point in my life where I'd kind of hit what felt like rock bottom. I was just really burnt out trying to do so much in work, so much in life, uh, could never really find rest, and I kind of had this like breaking moment last March and and started to implement some different things in my life that that really started to change, And and a lot of that came from reading Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is the book that John Mark Comer wrote. And and I read it and I listened to his podcast and I was like, I love all of this except for the Sabbath thing. That just sounds so weird and different and kind of binding and legalistic. It, uh, it sounded so restrictive. And I remember just asking Chris questions like, well, what if you wanted to just go do something that day? You can't because, you know, it's like, it's so strange, but then, uh, one day it kind of hit me like things aren't working how I'm trying to do it, so maybe I should try this way, and then I did it, and what I thought was going to be restrictive and binding and legalistic, I actually found to be freeing and life-giving and, and re-energizing uh, in my life, and, and so it, it's become like a regular part of my family's week, and we're not perfect Sabbathers at this point. Uh, I don't know that we ever will be, and I don't think that's even really the point, is to do it perfectly and, and exactly right every time or whatever. But we still miss Sabbaths from time to time. In fact, a couple months ago, we went like a whole month without it. and But it was crazy because kind of towards the end of the month, my wife Holly and I were like, why are we exhausted and just kind of feeling like dead inside again? Oh, we haven't rested for... <laughs> A whole month, like, like we haven't taken a day off from from chores and and appointments and busyness, um. And it it was kind of like if you you know I was a I was a soda drinker for a long time in my life, whereas you know every day like three or four cans of Coke a day was just kind of regular for me. And then I heard about this thing called water. I don't know if you guys you guys heard of that. It's pretty good for you. I was told. And so I, 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 I decided just to like kind of cold turkey, quit drinking soda and just started drinking water a ton. And it was probably like two or three months into that where I was like, okay, water's good. My body's feeling good. Maybe I should try soda again and just see like, cause like I had not had any of it. And then I just like remember in my mind is like, oh, it just tastes so good. It's so sweet. It's amazing. And like my first, I couldn't even finish a can of Coke because it was like, this doesn't taste what I thought, what I remember it tasting like. Like this is, it's kind of gross. And I don't like how my body's feeling as I'm drinking it. And, and, and so I kind of like left pop again. And that's kind of what it felt like to be off Sabbath for a month. Where like I had just been used to burning the candle at both ends seven days a week. And just filling my time and my schedule with so many things. And that was just my normal and then finding Sabbath was like drinking water instead of soda. And I started to feel really good and then we just didn't do it. and I was like, why do I feel so horrible? Is this what I felt like all the time? And, and it was just like this like eye-opening moment like, oh this like really is like a really really good thing for me. Uh, one thing that John Mark says often is that these are practices and and Sabbath is a practice. It's it's about practicing it, not necessarily performing it perfectly every time. And so each time we practice it, we might get a little bit better at it. It might feel like we're getting a little bit worse, but the point is that we're, we're trying. We're, we're putting in the time, we're doing the thing. And Sabbath, it's brought so many good things into my life and into my family's life. Uh, for one, it feels like it's brought us closer together as a family, It's you know, 90% of, the time I know that there's one day where I'm gonna spend 24 hours with the, the people that I'm closest with in my life, whether it's friends or a, and all the time with my, my wife and my kids and, and we're just gonna be together and nothing's gonna get in the way of that. And, and that's been awesome. It's given us more space as parents to integrate conversations about God into our, our kids' lives. You know, every week when we start Sabbath and uh, on Thursday night and then Friday morning, we light a candle when we sit down to eat together. And we always ask our four-year-old, why do we light this candle? And she's getting better at remembering. She's like, something about God being with us or something. Because we, we light the candle to remind us like God is present with us as we rest. And this is a gift from him. And, and so it's just giving us these little touch points to have conversations about faith and God with our kids. It's brought rest into our lives And I think probably most importantly, it's just like revitalized my life with God. And I feel alive to God in a way that I didn't a year ago, uh, which has been probably the most incredible part. And for those of you that this matters to, I can genuinely say I am more productive now than I was before because I've I've decided to take a day where I'm just not going to work and I'm not gonna think about work and, and I'm not gonna think about Chores and how full the, the sink is, and side projects. I don't, and I don't know what it is. It's like I gave a, I mean, it's I gave a day to God, and suddenly I feel like I've got all this energy and space and time for all the other things that that I really wanted to accomplish. Uh, one highlight just from this week, uh, Holly, my wife, texted me on like Tuesday, and our our four year old just randomly said to her, um, "Mommy, I can't wait for Sabbath." And I was like, oh, that like we're like, we're getting it. Like there's like this like thing that God is doing in our family where we're coming together and we're enjoying the stay together. And, and I'm just excited to keep growing in that as a family. So Sabbath, it, it's a gift from God for you. And and I think it's like one of the best gifts that you can get. For the married people here, do you guys remember like the best wedding gift that you received? Mine is a KitchenAid stand mixer. I was telling my wife about that this week because I use it almost weekly. And like, I'd, I, it might be the only wedding gift that I still use, and we've only been married for six years. And there's just like, there's something about a gift where it's, it's like, this is something you need, it's something you want, and it's something that you'll use. And that's what the Sabbath really is. It's something you need, it's something you want, and it's something that you should use. Um, and so as we as we end, just before we we do these goals or I share these goals with you for today, would you just do me a favor? Let's just close our eyes together for a second. I just just start by just imagining what is your normal. What's your everyday week feel like? Does it feel jam packed, full from? You know, your Monday to Friday is meeting to meeting. Hopefully, you've got five minutes to eat lunch in the middle there. Does it feel like you're constantly running or doing, changing diapers, doing laundry, making phone calls, visiting with people? Does every weekend just feel packed with, you know, so-and-so's birthday party and this graduation party and, you know, been meaning to clean the gutters, I have to mow the lawn. And now just imagine for a second what it would feel like if just every week you didn't feel like you were at your wits end or just at the end of your rope. That the low grade exhaustion, maybe even depression or anxiety that just constantly is there, just what if that just wasn't there anymore? Imagine not dreading Monday and going back into the office anymore. Imagine a world where you feel closer to your friends and family than you have in a long time and your relationship with God is in a different place than you even thought was possible. The things that used to weigh you down don't feel so heavy anymore. And on top of that, You go into your week full of life and passion, just re-energized, ready to take on the world, ready to do and and see and find anything that God has for you. I think that's a picture of life with Sabbath. You can open your eyes. Uh, If I could say anything about Sabbath, it'd be just just try it. If, if you haven't tried it yet, if you've been resistant to the goals, or, or just give it a shot, because I promise God will deliver in that time. So as we end, uh, we've got a goal for this week, so we'll throw that up on the slide behind me. So our goal this week, try one to three spiritual disciplines or activities that are new to you. So for example, it's journaling 10 minutes in total silence, memorizing scripture, meditating on a single verse. Um, Try to set aside an hour on multiple days to repeat these new spiritual disciplines. And again, all these are also on our website, vineyardnorthwest.com, and it's actually like, right when you get there, um, there's a button that says something like learn more about rest month, and you can click on that and it'll remind you of all these things. Uh, and then the last thing, our reach exercise for this month, this week, will be on the screen as well. A full 24 hours set aside for rest. And here are some ideas for getting those started. <laughs> I have a different thing on my notes sheet. I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to read that out loud. Um, so here's some different ways to do that. You can take a picture of this. I'm not going to read through all of them. But again, this is on our website, and you can, yeah, vineyardnorthwest.com, and it's right there on, first thing you'll see on the homepage. I always feel weird when people are taking pictures, like, am I in the pictures too? Should I smile, <laughs> like a thumbs up, you know? Um, or you can just check it out on the website. It'll probably be better quality than what your uh, phone will do anyway. Okay, anyway, uh, that's all I got. Could I have the the prayer team to come forward please Um, that's going to conclude our service if there's anything that you'd like prayer for in your life please come forward and receive it we've got a bunch of people eager to pray for you if there's something around uh, rest and Sabbath that you'd like prayer for in your life come up and get that otherwise uh, have a great week may the peace of God be with you and good luck resting see you guys next week